Go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 9, verse 35 through 37. Last week, uh, I attempted to speak on this, but we had a, a holy intervention. The Holy Spirit moved here in a mighty way, and we were not able to preach um, the sermon. So I, we just uh, did a little intro to it, and today we're going to close it to the glory of God. I'm going to be speaking today, uh, my theme is Breaking the Galilean Syndrome. Breaking the Galilean Syndrome. And in Matthew's chapter 9, there's a narrative that uh, Matthew writes pertaining Jesus. And it reads, Then Jesus went about all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And you would think that by doing that, which is what many people equate to be successful ministry, you would think that that would be enough said for Jesus to enter and go up in the pinnacle of success. But after doing all of that, verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. And here's why. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When Matthew says that he saw the multitudes, what he's referring to is he saw the masses, but within the mass, there were groups. It's like when you, I don't know, go to a festival or go to a carnival, and you see the multitudes, but in the midst of the multitude, there are multitudes. There are groups within the group of the masses. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was overwhelmed because of what he saw. Now, he was not overwhelmed because the sick was being healed. He was not overwhelmed because he was teaching. He was not being overwhelmed because he was preaching. What overwhelmed Jesus was what he saw. And I say that because we can get caught up in doing church that we don't see what Jesus sees. We could get caught up in the dynamics of church that we miss out on the reason why we do church. And so, verse 36 says, Jesus looked and saw. Now, 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 there is a difference between looking at something and seeing something. I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you ever looked at something. And I don't know if you ever saw something. Because I can look at things all the time. But when I really want to be specific, I'll be like, yo, you saw what she did? So implies I didn't just glance at the thing. I took the time to look at it. And girls, y'all know, y'all, girls are really good at seeing things. Child, you saw her shoes? Like, what? 
her shoes don't match with her stock. I mean, I mean, I mean, she, Jesus didn't look. He, he, he didn't only just look. The Bible says he looked and he saw. And here's what he saw. He saw groups within the groups. Now, what is a multitude? I told you Sunday. A multitude is a disorganized or confused body of people. And if you look at the image on the screen, you're going to see in a second, this is what a multitude looks like. In the eye of someone who aspires to be influential, when, when, whenever they're in a platform and this is what they see, they feel they're successful. But if you be honest with yourself, a group like that, a multitude like that, implies chaos, implies distortion, implies groups Within the groups, you have the Puerto Rican group over here. You have the Dominicans over there. You have those that don't that don't like they don't like to be touched. You got those that have uh, hand sanitizer. I mean, I mean, I mean, you got groups within the groups. Now, now, if I'm a pastor and I'm passing a church and I got a church that looks like that, the common pastor says, "Yes, I made it. I'm a pastor of a mega church. To God be the glory." Jesus, when he saw that, he didn't get excited. When Jesus saw that, I mean, I mean, if they had Instagram and Snapchat back in them days, <laughs> selfies, here we are, mega people, climbing the club. Jesus do that. When Jesus saw that, he was full of compassion. Because the Bible says that what he saw was not that. The Bible says he saw sheep without a shepherd. It didn't excite God that there was thousands and thousands of people there. What impacted the Lord was that they were all there, but they had nobody to lead them. There was distortion. There was a chaos. And I, and I don't know if you know, but there tends to be a lot of mess in the multitudes. Let me say that again. There's a propensity... To have a lot of mess in the multitude. Because if I'm dealing with you one-on-one, who you are. But if you're camouflaged within the group, and you're hiding between the masses, it's kind of difficult for me to eyewitness or, 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 or deal with certain issues. And let me tell you, multitudes are a platform for mess. I'll tell you it again. Multitude is the platform that orchestrates chaos in any multitude. Matter of fact, the multitude, there is room for foolishness in the multitude. Yeah, I don't like, I don't like it. Why don't you tell the pastor? No, I'm going to tell the pastor. That's, that's, just... that's foolishness in the multitude. There's room for sin in the multitude. Nobody knows me. I'm hiding between the cracks. I'm hiding between the multitudes. Nobody knows who I really am. So I could do what I could do on Monday. And since I'm hiding me in the group, nobody can see me. There's a lot of room for sin in the multitude. There's room for discord in the multitude. Because one could camouflage themselves in the multitude. And Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he was not excited. The Bible says he was concerned. Now, 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 let's talk about who was, who, who composed Jesus' multitude? Jesus' multitude was composed of Pharisees. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the ones, I ain't got time for that. 
the, the Pharisees were the ones who made it their business to know Scripture. They were, the Pharisees defended the patriarchs. They defended the law of Moses. They defended the prophets, major and minor. So every time Jesus would say something, they would go back to what the prophet said, and they would go back to what the patriarch said. Well, you said to do this, but our father Abraham, I mean, the Pharisees were in the multitudes, and when you looked at the Pharisee at a glance, they looked so holy, they looked so righteous, they looked so spiritual, yet... They did not impress Jesus. Pharisees was in the group. Not only the Pharisees, but the Sadducees. Who were the Sadducees? The Sadducees were the most wealthiest people in Jerusalem. These guys were well off. They lived well. As a matter of fact, they lived in the Mecca of Jerusalem. And not only did they do that, but they were, they were not really inclined to Jesus' message because Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. They did not believe in the life after death. And Jesus says, I'm going to rise again. So they had a problem with Jesus, with his teachings, with his prophecies, with his resurrection. So, although the multitude looked big and great and nice, when Jesus saw Pharisees, he saw problem. When he saw Sadducees, he saw discord. Not only did he see Pharisees, not only did he see scribes, Sadducees, he saw the scribes. Who were the scribes? Oh, these guys knew the word. They knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Torah. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the law. They knew the commandments. They knew how many times you had to work on the Sabbath. They knew if you had to work on the Sabbath and when you didn't have that. I mean, they knew it all. And they were all there. They were all there. And when Jesus saw everybody, he was worried. The multitude was composed of advantageous people. I don't know if you have noticed. But nobody builds, a, nobody does a business. In the desert place. You know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open a franchise, right? Call it Dunkin' Donuts. I'm going to open Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm going to look for the place where nobody lives, where nobody comes by, and right there, I'm going to open. No, you don't do that. Because if you want to make profit, where do you go? Okay? If, if, if you cook, if you, if, if you want to open a restaurant business, and let's say food, and, and you're, you're, you're gifted in Spanish food, you ain't going to put no restaurant or Winamere somewhere over there. You got to put it in Kissimmee, where all the Latinos are. You got to put it on Boggy Creek, because you want to sell what you got to sell, and so you're looking for your clientele. Let me tell you this. There were advantageous people in the midst of the crowd. While the masses were there, there were people selling cloth and selling turbans and selling, trying to make a, a dollar out of 50. I mean, they were selling stuff. And when Jesus saw all that stuff, if you don't believe me, go read Matthew 21. Not only were there advantageous people there, there were haters there. Jesus just started preaching, talking about he's the king of the Jews. Who do you think he is? Haters were there. Let me tell you, in every multitude, you got haters. And every multitude, you got people that talk about you. And every multitude, you got people that are going to scorn you. And every multitude, there were people that were sick in the multitude. There were people that were hungry in the multitude. But if I would have been a common leader and I see the master, yes, I made it. Look at the big church that God gave me. Jesus was not moved by that because Jesus had this thing called discernment. 
and he was able to see the hearts of people and the brokenness of people and the pain of people. And although people were coming and following him by the masses, Jesus was not impressed by the thousands of people that were there. He was concerned to heal a broken, restore a hurting person. He was at that business. And I'm here to tell you, church, we are not the church of Christ. That our focus is numbers and breaking records. The devil is a liar. Our heart is to be a church that sees what God sees, that ministers how God ministers, that loves the broken. And when we do that, God gets the glory, and the church will grow to the glory of God. Somebody say amen. But we got to be able to break the syndrome of Galilee. Now, what is the Galilean syndrome? First of all, the name Galilee means circuit. And it's called the Great Galilee or the Great Circuit because Galilee was composed of 270 villages, towns. Listen to me. Whenever you would, and let me tell you, Jesus was, in, Jesus was not, it wasn't coincidental that Jesus picked Galilee to start his ministry. It was intentional. And where does he pick? He picks a place that is composed of 270 villages and towns. Why? Because he's coming with a message that has not been preached before. He's coming with the message of the kingdom of heaven. So he spends a year and a half of his ministry ministering in Galilee. Why? Because he's trying to take advantage of the environment. He's trying to take advantage of the masses. He's trying to take advantage of the tribes and the groups and the villages and the town to spread this gospel called the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to impact his people and for a year and a half Jesus has been preaching in Galilee. Now let me give you a breakdown because chapter 9 of Matthews gives you a, a breakdown of what Jesus did that year and a half. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 9, Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. Now bear in mind the people that are with Jesus, you got Pharisees, you got the Sadducees, you got the scribes, you got the haters, you got the advantageous people, you got sick folk. And while Jesus is healing this paralytic, here comes the Pharisees. Who says, what does this guy talk about forgiving sins and healing a paralytic? When the law says that no one can heal, that no one can forgive sins but God. So while Jesus is doing the work of the ministry, within the multitudes you have haters. Verses 9 through 12, Jesus not only forgives the, restores the paralytic, but in verses 9 through 12, the Bible says that Jesus recruits Matthew as one of his disciples. Let me tell you this, man. Now, the masses are with Jesus. Until Jesus picks Matthew, it got crazy. Because who was Matthew? Matthew was a Jew who worked for Rome to take money from the Jews. So if there was a group of, if there was somebody that the Jews hated, surely it was Matthew. Because the Jews are saying, dude, you're, you're a Jewish man like us. How are you going to take money from us to give it to Rome? Who, by, by the way, Rome is enslaving us and treating us like second-class citizens. And instead of you helping us, you're working for a system that is out to take the money from us. And so the Jews hated Matthew. And Matthew, at that specific moment, the Bible says that he was called by Jesus and Jesus recruited Matthew and the Pharisees began to say to the disciples, why does your teacher pick a tax collector? 
Why are you picking out a loser like that? Why are you picking out a thief? Why are, listen, listen, listen. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus' 12 disciples could have been 12 Pharisees. They could have been 12 Sadducees. They could have been 12 scribes. They could have been 12 advantageous people. But Jesus is not in the business and looking for what is attractive to the common eye. Jesus is in the business of finding the broken, the hurting, the marginalized, the rejected. Because those are the ones that are impacted by the power of the blood of Jesus that will change the world upside down. Verse 1 through 8. He heals a paralytic. Verse 9 through 12, he picks a thief as one of his 12 disciples. Verse 14 through 17, Jesus is questioned by the Sadducees about ceremonial rituals regarding fasting. That's not how you're supposed to fast. And why is it that your disciples don't fast when we believe in fasting? And now Jesus got the masses. He's got the masses. But he's got haters. He's got discord people. He's got dividers. He's got people that are trying to find a way to catch him and, 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 and a mistake and find him, misquote scripture. And Jesus is trying to do all this and all this is happening. And then verse 27 through 30, the Bible says that Jesus takes two blind men and healed them. And then verses 32 to 34, the Bible says he gives the capacity to speak to a man who had been mute. This is all that year, a year and a half of ministry and all Jesus was doing I'm going to Galilee. There's a lot of hurting people there. There's a lot of broken people there. There's a lot of uh, sick people there. And he began to preach and teach and, and, and heal and restore. And while he's doing that, he's getting the oppression. He's getting the attacks. And, and let me tell you something. He, he, he could have fallen into the system of embracing the, of embracing the Galilean mentality that says, it don't matter if they sick, Jesus, as long as you got a lot of people, you're good. As long as you got thousands of people in your church, that's what counts. And let me tell you, God promised us that this church is going to grow and be an influential church to the glory of God. But we can fall into, into the entrapment to believe that what determines a successful church is the number of its church. The devil and his mama is a liar. The success of a church is when people come broken and they're growing and they're being healthy and they're becoming what God called them to be. So we can't celebrate only the numbers of people in this church. We got to celebrate how many people are being grown and developed and matured and lifted up into the image of Christ. <laughs> because many people have a sense of accomplishment when they see the masses. But Jesus didn't. When Jesus saw the masses, he was overwhelmed with pain. Jesus didn't feel excited to say, I got a mega church. That did not excite him. Because there comes a time when you're in the group of the, mass, of the multitude. And in the multitude, God gives you a word. And in the multitude, God heals you. And in the multitude, God, there comes a time that in the multitude... God uses the multitude to grow you. It was in the multitude God picked Matthew. It was in the multitude God healed the lady with the issue of blood. It was in the multitude God healed two 
blind guys. It was in the multitude God raised up Jairus' daughter. It was in the multitude. But it's not enough to live the rest of your life within the confines of the multitude. There's got to come a point that you say, I needed to be here for the season. I enjoyed the multitude. But now my time has come to come out of the crowd and become somebody God has called me to be to break the Galilean syndrome that says numbers is success. No, maturity is success. Listen to me. Danny, where are you? But there comes a time that what worked in the multitudes needs to evolve to something greater. We can't just be happy being part of a big church. Because if that is your equation of success, then we failed as a church. That can't be. There comes a time you have to change because of the word you have heard. But then there comes a, then there comes a time that once you're strong by the word you have heard, your perspective changes. How you see church changes. So the question is, who can bring the change? Jesus saw the multitudes, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, advantageous people, sick people, broken people, hurting people, haters. When he saw the crowds, he was filled with compassion because he look what he saw. He saw sheep without a shepherd. He didn't see Pharisees without a Sanhedrin. He didn't see Sadducees without living in the influence of their eminent popularity. and con No, no, no. He saw he, all of them, regardless of their position, in the eyes of Christ. He saw sheep. He saw sheep. In the eyes of Christ. Because listen, when God looks at you, he don't look at your title. He don't look at your pedigree. He don't look at your position. God is not impacted by that. He is impacted in knowing that you are becoming the person God has called you to be. But you cannot be a lion until you're a lamb first. Jesus started his ministry. And John, when he saw him, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes the sin of the world. John the Apostle in the book of Revelation, he didn't see him no longer as a lamb. The Bible says he saw him like a lion in the tribe of Judah. The question is how do you evolve from a lion to a lamb, from a lamb to a lion? How do you evolve from a servant into a leader? Oh, God, I feel like, I feel like, no, no, no. How do you evolve? How do you evolve? How do you evolve? When you are a lamb, you're letting God pass you. You're letting God lead you. You're letting God disciple you. Because God is going to make you a line over many when you suck as a sheep. So he's going to build you first. He's going to grow you first. He's going to help you first. So that when he makes you a lion, you can lead the jungle by the power of the grace that he has placed over your life. Listen to me. Jesus, when he saw that, he said, I got to change. I got to change the structure. Because I'm on a year and a half in preaching in Galilee. I got 12 disciples, and I don't want them to miss out the purpose of effective church. 
I got to break the syndrome of Galilee. I got to break the mentality of Galilee. Because Galilee, Circuit City represents a lot of people, masses, multitudes. Jesus, I got to break that spirit. Look what he does. Verse 37, he says, after he saw the, the masses, he was filled with compassion. Look what he says, verse 37. Then he said to the Pharisees. Oh, no, 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 Pharisees. Then he said to the scribes. Then he said to the influential people, because the ones that are going to have a paradigm shift in the Galilean syndrome are not Pharisees, are disciples. The ones that are going to change the mentality of church are not people led by position, but people led by devotion. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said to the disciples. Ah! The first time he saw the people, the first time he saw the people, he saw them as sheep. Can I preach? Somebody say preach. The first time he saw them, he saw them as sheep. The second time he sees them, he sees them as a harvest. Now, how does a sheep become? Oh, I feel like preaching. Do you know what's the harvest of a sheep? When it begins to produce the wool of the sheep. But in order for the sheep to produce wool, the shepherd has got to work the sheep. What am I trying to tell you? There is a harvest of success that is going to come by the life of those people in the multitude. But God is looking for people to make sheep into a harvest. He says, he told his disciples. He didn't tell the thousands of people that were following Christ. He told the 12. He told his small group. The harvest is ready. He's telling the 12, the harvest is plentiful. You know what he's saying? Telling them by saying that? You need to see what I see. You need to see what I see. You see a liar, I see a harvest. You see a hypocrite, I see a harvest. You see a homeless, I see a harvest. You see a sinner, I see a harvest. You see a, a, a bad mouth talker, I see a harvest. But in order to see the harvest, you got to be willing to break the soil. You got to be willing to work. You got to be willing to feed the poor. You got to be willing to love the broken. And after a while, everything you sow, you will reap. He says, the harvest is ready. There's a lot of harvest. But plenty, but few laborers. How is Jesus telling these guys we don't have a lot of laborers when he's surrounded by the multitudes? Because you could be part of the multitude and not be part of the vision. You could be part of the crowd. And not be in the crowd. I'm sorry. And not be part of the vision. You could be part of the part of the assembly and not be part of the vision. And Jesus is saying, I know we got thousands of people, but the Galilean syndrome says, as long as we're allowed, we're successful. And Jesus is saying, we gotta change that mentality, and it starts with us. It starts with us. Jesus was telling them, the disciples, that their job was more than to follow Jesus. That their job, they needed to turn the multitudes into disciples. That's why, Pastor, what is, the, what, is, what is the preamble for success in any church? Is it having a good worship? No, that's good. Is it having nice lights and cameras? That's, that's good, but that's not it. 
What's the preamble to a successful church? Small groups and discipleship is the setting for a successful church. Small groups. How do I disciple somebody? In a church like here with 300 people? No. How do you disciple people? Small groups. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Check out this scripture. Luke chapter 9 verses 15 through 17. Jesus was bombarded by the masses. Look what it says. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit in groups of 50. Which, by the way, there were, the Bible says there were 5,000 men that day. And if there were 5,000 men, when you, whenever you see the Bible makes a census, a census in the Bible, they only counted men. That's a Jewish thing. They only counted. They didn't count women. They didn't count children. So when the Bible says it was 5,000 men, now you have to think for every man there must have been a woman. And for every woman there must have been a child. So it is probable that there must have been at least 15,000 people that day hungry. They hadn't eaten food. And the Bible says in this story that Jesus was overwhelmed because they were starving. And he tells his disciples, y'all got to feed them. And he said, Master, we ain't, got no, we ain't got no food and we ain't got no money and we broke. And look what the Bible says. After they found a boy with a lunch, the Bible says, verse 15, then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. Why? Why sit them in groups of 50? It looks big. It looks better. The multitudes. Why? Why break it down so we can take a nice Snapchat picture and everybody can see we got a big church. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Break them down. Small groups. And they did so and made them all sit down. What does that talk about? Equality. Nobody's better than nobody. <laughs> I'll preach another day. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke. And he gave it to the disciples and set it before the multitude. Look what happens. Look what happens. The miracle did not happen because the masses were there. The miracle happened when discipleship started. Look what happens. Verse 17. So they all ate. 15,000 people did not eat in chaos. 15,000 people were able to eat when they were all broken in small groups. They all ate. And not only did they eat, they were all filled. And not only did they all fill, but 12 baskets were left over. So the miracle of the bread and the fish did not happen until the syndrome of Galilee was changed from the masses to the small groups. God operates different than many people who serve God operates. God operates in complete form. God has always operated in small group, always. God has always operated in small group. Well, Pastor, well, who, well, how do you prove that? Well, let me prove it to you. Before there was a world, there was a small group. Before there was a world, there was a small group. Because God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was the first small group in history. When God made man, man was a small group. Spirit, body, soul, and Eve. 
So whenever God does something, he starts small. Whenever God starts something, he starts small. And you cannot minimize the smallness of the thing because behind that, there's so much power to turn that thing upside down. What am I trying to tell you, church? The victory of this church is not going to be how and we're going to be a mega church to the glory of God. But that's not the victory of this church. The victory of this church is that when you come into this house, somebody's going to love you. Somebody's going to help you. Somebody's going to serve you. You're going to grow into the stature and the measure of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. There's another story I want to read. Book of Judges chapter 7. Gideon has to fight the Midianites. And Gideon has 32,000 men. Look what the Bible says. Verse 7, 2 to 7. It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. In other words, you're operating in the Galilean syndrome. Because you're thinking, I got a lot of people, we're going to win this. Look what he says. The people you are with are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, my own hand has saved me. Look what he does. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and apart at once from Mount Gilead. Look what God is saying. Because in the multitude, although they all look like they're behind you, you got some scary folk. Touch and never tell them, no fear, no fear, no fear, no fear. You got some scary folk. My question to you is, are you part of the fearful folk or are you part of the courageous folk? part of those that come to church and don't believe God's going to do it? Or are you part of those that say, God, we're going to do it in Jesus' name? Are you part of the group that says, I don't know, we're going to buy this building to feed the poor? That's a fearful spirit? Or are you going to say, we're going to do this in Jesus' name and God's going to get the glory and we're going to fight the good fight and the devil's going to be defeated? He said, you got a lot of people but 20,000 of them are fearful. He says, proclaim to in their hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let them turn and depart from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 left. 22,000 quit right there and then. I quit. Check this out. They left. Check this out. Then, verse 4, the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. Had I been Gideon, yo, what you trying to do, Lord? 22,000 people left the same day. And I got to fight the Midianites. And, and you still saying I got too many people. He says, too many. Bring them down to the water. Oh. And I will test them there for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you and the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one will not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. Listen, listen, listen. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue like a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, whoever gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap 
putting their hand in their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees and drank water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 water drinking like dog people are the ones I'm going to use to bring victory over the Midianites. Can you, can you, can you imagine that? In one day, 22,000 left. Stood with 10,000. And out of the 10,000, only 300 drank water like dogs. And the other 9,700 I, I, I just come to church so I could get a nice little service. I just come to church so Pastor could su sweat his head off and, and I look at him sweat, talk about, oh my God, Lord, use him. I just come to church so that the worship could excite me and make my hair feel nice and, and I got something to do for the next hour and a half. I, I'm coming to church just to look nice and I'm coming to church just to act right and I'm coming to church with the Galilean syndrome. Let me tell you something, what God is going to do in this church, we can't have that spirit in this church. God is looking for dogs, for dogs. He's looking, he's looking for dogs that can come into the church and get in his presence and say, Lord, I want that water. I want that presence. I want your glory. And I'm not leaving this place until my stomach is filled by your grace. I'm asking today, is there a dog in the house that is willing to say? Is there a dog in the house? Is there a dog in the house that you want your blessing so bad that it don't matter what people say about you? It don't matter what people do about you. You know where you're going because you're going to be a harvest that's going to change the city for the glory of God. Hallelujah. 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 You want to look nice? Stay in the church. But I'm looking for dogs that when their master comes in the house, Everybody know your master's in the house. Everybody know you came in the presence of God and you're going to lift up holy hands and you're going to open your mouth and give God glory for you now. to break the Galilean syndrome. We gotta break it! We cannot be a church whose focus is we broke record. We can't be a church that our success is equated by numbers. And that's good. And that will happen. The Bible says that every day God added to the church those that needed to be saved. So growth is important. But it's not the end. The end of the church is discipleship. The end of the church is spiritual growth. The end of the church is that we grow comprehensively. Because if the success of a church is going to church, the Pharisees were holy. And they got it. Because every Saturday, they were at the church. Yeah, Jesus never hung out with Pharisees. Never hung out with Pharisees. 
Because Jesus saw something different when he saw the masses. My prayer is, church, God, allow us to see what you see. Allow us to beat your heart in our hearts. That we may see the evolution from multitudes to sheeps to harvest. That our spiritual eyes could evolve. Because many of us have devolved. Thinking that multitudes is the goal. That's not the goal. Harvest is the goal. But harvest takes work. You got to work that soil. You got to dig a trench. You got to plant the seed. You got to cover that seed. You have to water that soil. You have to expose it to the sun. And even though you don't see nothing happening because it's under the earth, while you can't see it, you're believing it's going to grow. Listen. If we have this gospel preached to us today, it ain't because of the multitudes. The reason why the gospel has passed thousands and thousands of years is because of disciples. Disciples. So church, I want to encourage you. Next year's theme, our theme as a church, is Be Hope. That's the theme for next year. Be hope. We're going to be hope. We're not going to have hope. We have hope. We now to be hope. How do you be hope? Discipleship. Small groups. You need to be part of a small group. Pastor, but we have church services in the midweek. Okay. You know what we did? We're canceling midweek services in 2017. Only Sunday services. Because I want you in your house. I want you in a home. I want you with a family of believers that talk about Jesus in another setting outside of this one. And so we're going to cancel services next year. And we're going to do midweek service in small groups. I need you to join. God needs you to join. And can you imagine here between this service and the Spanish service we're over 600. Can you imagine at least 50, 60 small groups. Yes. And we already have a bunch of them. And as you walk out, there's going to be a table with small groups there. And you're going to sign up. And if you want to be a host, in other words, you want to sponsor your home so we could do one in your house, you're going to go out there and sign up. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break the paradigm shift. We're going to break the syndrome that says numbers is great. That's, that's, that's good. But that's not the goal of this church. We want people to grow. Paul says in Ephesians, to the stature and the measure of Christ. Not the stature and the measure of religion. No, the stature and measure of Christ. So I need you to embark with us and be part of a small group. Here's another thing I need you to help me. I need you to help me get that property for Jesus. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Don't be part of the multitude. Don't be part of the masses that hears and does nothing. I need you. So we can get that place. You don't understand the lives we've touched in this church without having that building. You don't understand the amount of homeless people we've touched. You have no idea. 
families that had nowhere to live and we're investing in them. You know, right now, you have no idea. Now imagine with me, if you will, if we have a place called the Hope Center. We can bring families in and men in and women in and see them grow, see them grow, see them grow. So God took the disciples and said, the harvest is ready, but I need more laborers. New birth. I need laborers. Pastor, I can't preach. You don't have to preach to be a disciple. You don't have to teach to be a disciple. You just got to see what Jesus sees. You just got to see what Jesus sees.